How are we this morning? Well, let's go in our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And as you're turning there, um, just let you know, I did get my yellow fever shot. And one for, uh, it's either typhus or typhoid, one of those two. But I'll be going, for those of y'all that totally freaked you out, you're like, what does our preacher have? Um, I'll be leaving after church today to drive to Greenville, South Carolina. And tomorrow I'll be flying to Brazil. And uh, the rest of the team flew out, um, I believe it was on Friday evening, so they're already there. But I told them I don't want to be gone two Sundays in a row. So I won't be here uh, next week. So, so don't play hooky. Or some of y'all may tell your friends, and like, well, he's fine. He's gone for a week, so maybe we'll come back. So either the way that works. Um, but we're going to have a great speaker here, Leo Purser. Um, he teaches at Liberty. He's an awesome guy, great communicator. But um, I did get a notice from a friend in Brazil that said the second place that we're supposed to go, the town is called Rio Negro. Uh, my friend said that that is in a swamp, and there's lots of snakes and alligators. Yeah? And I've always thought, how cool would that be to bag an anaconda in the name of Jesus? You know what I'm talking about? You know, go there and share the gospel and kill a big old snake. But um, if you could just pray for, uh, for me and the team. Uh, most of the people who are on the team this year, uh, primarily the majority, are senior citizens. And so uh, they're a hardworking group of people, a lot of fun to be with. So I will be back, not this coming Friday, but the Friday afterwards. I believe that is the either the 18th or the 19th, because 21st is, is the Sunday. So I'll be back then. And on the 21st, uh, Whitney, Susan Lynch, and myself, we're going to do a mission Sunday and be able to tell you what God is doing in Italy and Nicaragua and also Brazil. So I hope that you can come on that as well. But I want to just... Um, Go through as we are continuing to speak and teach through the book of Luke this morning and on Sunday mornings versus in chapter 2 of Luke. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible, we should have some there on the pews. And if you don't have a Bible, you can totally keep that. Um, that's our gift to you. Or if you would like a, a more expensive one, um, we've got um, some in the lost and found for church members who love their Bibles. We have a rule that if it's been there for 19 years or more, we can give it away. So um, let's go to Luke. Y'all Okay. All right. So, all right. Luke chapter two in uh, verse number 30. That's what we're going to study this morning through verse 35. But just for the sake of context so that we know what's kind of going on, I'm going to back up to verse 25 and just read it so that we don't take the Bible uh, out of context. Here we go. Luke chapter two. We're going to begin to read in verse 25. The Bible says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation or the comforting of Israel. In other words, he was waiting for the Messiah to come. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. In other words, the Messiah, the Son of God. Verse 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus... So Jesus is just like eight days old, just a tiny baby at this point, to do for him according to the custom of the law. He, speaking of Simeon, took him, Jesus, up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed or set up for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray. God, we ask that in these few minutes that we have, that You would give us what we don't deserve, and that's just the touch of Your Spirit as You touched Simeon and as You guided him with. You would help us to understand what this passage of the Bible is talking about, Father, and You would just apply it to our lives. We believe that Jesus is Lord, and we ask that You would control this time and use it for Your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a a bulletin there, we're just going to walk through this outline. If you're a fill-in-the-blanks person, we have a key there on the bottom that you can go ahead. If you want to go ahead and do that and you're uh, mildly OCD, you can go ahead and fill in the blanks if that makes you feel better. Or we can just walk through that. But what we're going to look at this morning from this passage is a topic called Salvation History. Now, salvation, literally, it means to be delivered, right? Like, think big boat, right? You're on a big boat, and you're out in the ocean. Several years ago, I went on a cruise with my family, and uh, it was like one of these Caribbean cruises to where the waves are like, you know, one centimeter, like totally flat, no problem. My mom, the whole time, she's thinking, where are the life rafts, you know? Where are the life preservers? Like it's going to be, you know, in the in the Caribbean, um, like it would be Titanic. And so just think, out on the great sea, the great ocean, and you're on a boat and something happens and the boat goes down. You're there flailing in the water. Imagine if there are no, uh, there are no lifeboats. Imagine if there are no life preservers. You are simply there in the water and you know that there's only a certain amount of time that you can last. Now, after you begin to tread water for, let's say, if you can go for 10 or 15 minutes, you begin to feel a little bit tired, right? And then our workout people can go for 35, 40 minutes, an hour, maybe two hours, maybe longer, maybe up to five hours. And by that time, you're thinking if something does not happen, right? Like if Flipper does not come by and let me grab a hold of his fin or somebody drop in for a parachute, I'm going to be dead as a doornail. All right. Um, And then you see and you hear a boat coming in the distance. It is cutting through the water, top speed, and you see those beautiful words, United States Coast Guard. Yeah? And the Coast Guard is coming, and they've got a boat full of rescue personnel. They begin to come in the water. They begin to throw out inflatable crafts, and people begin to be saved from drowning. To be saved means to be delivered. From destruction. So for you and I to really understand anything about the Bible, we're going to take a look this morning, and I'm just going to give you a warning here. This is going to be a lot of information. Are we okay? All right. When you preach through the Bible, sometimes you come to passages and you just kind of got to stop there for a minute. You know what I'm saying? You just got to stop there and say, I've got to get this, because if I don't get this, everything else 
that I read after it won't make a lot of sense. And some of you who have read books for classes before, you're like, I'm just going to skip this section, and the rest of the book makes no sense, right? So for you and I, we've got to have a grasp of salvation history and what it meant for God to work from the beginning of time up to the point of Jesus, and then what God is doing today and what God will do. So this is probably in our series so far. This is going to be our, our meat message. This is going to be our protein, all right, for our, for our, uh, our exercise people. This is going to be uh, uh, heavy stuff. Y'all okay? All right, so what I'm going to ask you to do, you can get it. It's not going to be, you know, anything too deep, but you can grab a hold of what it means um, for God to work in the history of the world for salvation history. So notice there first off in verse uh, in verse 30 and 31, you see that God's salvation has been demonstrated openly. No, notice what, what Simeon says here, this righteous man who was led by the Holy Spirit. He says, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. And as we read, God had given him the revelation that say, look, Simeon, man, you have served me. And I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to allow you to see the son of God before you actually kick the bucket. And so then Simeon, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, he goes to the temple one day and there's this, this little baby boy that is brought in by this humble Jewish couple and the Holy Spirit said, that's the one. So Simeon goes and he, and he picks up the baby Jesus and then he looks at this little little baby, right? We, we've all seen cartoons and pictures of the baby Jesus, right? Now imagine if you were there. Imagine if you could hear the clunk clunk of Roman soldiers marching through the streets of Jerusalem. Knowing that if you were a Hebrew male, guys, let's imagine we're all Hebrew guys, 12 years old or older, that any one of those soldiers, even if they want to do it to be a straight-up punk, they could get you and have you carry their gear for one mile in any direction. Imagine that you had to pay taxes to Rome, and all that Rome was doing with those taxes is oppress you and your friends, and your neighbors, and your countrymen. And you, you, you thought, man, there's nothing we can do to, to throw off this yoke, to throw off this, this triangle choke of Rome. And then you, you, you read the, the, the Old Testament Scriptures about how God would send His Son born of a virgin in a specific time, in a specific place, and then the Holy Spirit leads you, and you hold in your arms the baby Jesus who would grow up to be the one who would grow to a full-grown man who would be put on a cross and murdered and tortured to death for the sins of all people who would believe in Him. And you're holding God in the flesh in your hands. I know, that's awesome, isn't it? God in the flesh in your hands and in your arms. And that's why he says, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace. It's basically like, God, you can go ahead and take me now. And when I read this, I thought, um, I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this before. um, And this goes back to our message several weeks ago called Bucket List. What would you like to see before you could die a happy man or a woman? What, 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 is, what is it that you say, you know what, I really want to see this. I want to experience this. And then I can say as Simeon, Lord, now you're letting me depart in peace. And this, um, if you want to take notes here, 
Um, notice when he uses the word Lord, this is not the Greek word kurios, which we see throughout the New Testament, you know, to say that Jesus is Lord, like they would call Caesar Lord. This is actually the word where we get our English word despot from, like a total ruler in control of everything. This is used in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 21. If you want to take notes, this is what the text says. This helps us understand his mentality of using this word to refer to God as. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. You know what Simeon is literally saying? He says, God, you're not just God, but you are so much my God that I'm willing to call you my master and call Myself, your slave. Now, now there's, there's a difference between being a friend of God and a slave of God, isn't there? Remember how the Apostle Paul talks about being a bond slave of Christ? I mean, when you're a slave, you've given up, you, you don't have any more rights, right? It is kind of like, God, if you are, if you are Lord, if you are king, if you're a ruler, then that means that whatever you tell me, I'm going to do it and I'm going to follow you. And so here you have somebody that kind of reverses the thinking of many of us. It's like this. Some people say, now Jeff, if I give everything to God, if I totally surrender my life, if I come to the place in my life that I say, God, I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I'm willing to forgive whoever you tell me to forgive. Then we have this little, this little monster in the back of our mind that tells us, if we do that, then our lives will be literally, and I'm not cussing when I say this, a living hell. We will have no fun. We will have to put up with annoying people. I like what Adrian Rogers said. He said, you don't have to be a cannibal to be fed up with people, right? I mean, there's a point that you come to, you say, you know what? I think I'm going to have to do everything I don't want to do and everything that I want to do, I'll never be able to do it again. And so I just, oh, it's going to be so bad. I know I should serve God because he's God and I'm not. Even though, you know, maybe if the job application was open, I could take that from them and it would be a better world and I want to be in control. All of that stuff. If I came to the place where I gave everything to God, then my life would not be a good life. Notice the life of Simeon when he had given everything to God to the point that God says, go to the temple now and go to that couple and pick up that child. And when he did it, he experienced one of the greatest blessings of all time. So much. He was so blessed. This experience was so radical that he was willing to say, God, if you just go ahead and pull the plug on my life, I'm ready to go. So God openly demonstrated it. Notice, according to your word. And then in verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. This word that he uses to, to let him depart in peace is the word to release. And it's kind of like you have a, a ship or a boat that's tied up to the dock, and when you release it, it can just kind of be freed. I remember growing up um, in Louisiana along the banks of the Mississippi River, and I would see ships that would be tied to the dock. And then they would have these tugboats, right? They would come and push these huge barges. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Simeon is saying, Lord, you've led me. For this, we don't know how long he had been a follower of God. But he said, God, you've led me, and you've led me, and you've led me. And God, I'm just letting you. I'm coming to the place where the barge of my life is ready to be taken wherever your tugboat of your Holy Spirit will bring me. And I hope that that's the prayer for our life. Amen, church? That we say, you know what, God? I'm, I'm, I'm willing to follow you and do what you want me to do. And I'm willing to be at that place to say, you know what, God? You've led me to see your salvation, and I'm ready to go.
Now, some people say, now, Jeff, that's crazy. That's crazy to think about um, coming to the place in your life where you're willing to do whatever God wants you to do. Well, the fact is that death is real, right? Once again, this is not something we like to talk about, but have you ever seen one of those old paintings of, of the medieval scholars? And they're there in kind of maybe a robe and they're, they're on a desk. Does anybody remember that kind of freaky Halloween-ish thing that's over in the corner of their desk? It's a skull. Now, was that because they were goths? No, that hadn't really come into style yet. They, had, they were there because they did that to remind themselves that one day every person's going to die. The soul is sins that shall die. And so I should be preparing for that day. Now, we don't like to think about that as Americans, do we? Right? I mean, like, now there, may be, there may be somebody here, all right, and you've got like skulls all over. You know, you walk in your house, it's like skull fest. Um, we do counseling here. We can maybe help you out with that. But most of the time, we don't really do a whole lot with that unless it's like a biker thing, you know, or Harley. I've got my skull helmet. But we don't just like sit there and focus on, one day I'm going to die, right? Like we don't talk to our friends and say, well, what do you think about, bro? I'm going to die. Factual statement, but people look at you very socially awkward. But in this time, he was focusing towards the end. You look back and go with me again to verse number 30. He says, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. This is going back to the very beginning of time. To where God created, right, Adam and Eve. Ladies, there was no competition from any other woman. They were in a perfect environment. They had everything that they needed. There was no sin. There were no traffic jams. It was absolute, pristine perfection. And then what happened, some of you may know the biblical story, Adam and Eve sinned, right? She, she ate the forbidden fruit and her husband was right there with her. And he refused to step in and protect her from the lies of the enemy. And then what happens is sin entered into the world and it fractured and it ripped apart that relationship between person to person and person to God. So here's the question that would have come up to say, well, what do we do about this, right? You ever been in a situation, in a relationship, and it kind of just falls and it crashes and burns, and you're like, okay, what do I do about this? Well, people tried to fix it. People tried to fix it by some said, you know what, we're going to try to build a religious system and get religious, the Tower of Babel, for example, and we're going to try to get to God. And then some people, if you can read about this in Genesis chapter 6, they simply just threw it all. They said, you know what? I'm going to live like the ACDC song. I'm just going to be on the highway to hell. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter chapter 6, in verse 5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Bible later says that the whole earth was filled with violence. Here's how bad it was. There was only one family left who was willing to serve God. Now, have you ever felt alone? Anybody? Right? You don't have to raise your hand, but you're like, you know what? I, I, I try to serve Christ at my job. I try to represent Him at family reunions. I try to tell, I try to live for Jesus, but sometimes it feels like I'm kind of alone. It seems like the majority doesn't want to serve Christ. Well, imagine being Noah and his family. You're the only ones left. And then God comes and says, Noah, build a boat. He builds it. The flood comes. Kills everyone. You say, now Jeff, who is God that He can kill everyone? He's God. Here's the thing. When you and I take a human life, um, unnecessarily like for in case of a murder, we don't have all the data. We don't have that prerogative. But since God knows everything, God knows exactly when it's right to take life. 
So it was God's prerogative. He did that. But then after the flood, God started all over again. Noah made a sacrifice, made a covenant to God. God gave a rainbow to show that I'm never going to destroy the earth with water again. And then what happened? God called this guy from the city of Ur. Kind of sounds like almost the word for oil, right? Earl, right? Ur, you are out of uh, ancient Iraq. It was about 220 miles south, um, southeast of Baghdad. There's this man in Ur, and Ur, they worshipped the moon. They worshipped the moon goddess. It was totally a pagan place. There was this man named Abram. And God called this guy named Abram and said, I want you to come out of Ur, and I want you to follow me. Now, Abram um, was actually a guy from Iraq. Did you know that the first Jew was actually, you could say, an Iraqi? Isn't that strange? It shows that in God's plan, bloodline doesn't matter so much as one's, as one's faith. So what happened is that God later renamed Abram, Abraham, and then God called Abraham to do a crazy thing. God says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. Now, some of you with teenagers would be like, man, no problem. No problem. I'm with you on that. Can do that. No problem. But he had this son, his only son, Abraham and Isaac. And he brought him up and, and Isaac said, where is, is, is the rim? Where, where is the sacrificial animal? And, and his dad says, God will provide. So here's what he does. He, he ties his son up, puts him on top of the altar. And God had not brought anything yet. This is salvation history. God calling people out of sin to make something new out of them, to redeem them. And then He raises the the knife, right, to kill His only son. Which the book of Hebrews tells us the only reason why Abraham went through that is because he believed that God could actually raise his son from the dead. It wasn't because he believed that God was all about human sacrifice. But he says God is so powerful that he can raise him from the dead. And then the voice that says, Abraham, Abraham, do not harm your son, for God has provided a ram. They look over in the sticking, and there's a ram that God has provided to sacrifice, to make the sacrifice. It's salvation history. And then you look later on, and the Israelites get in trouble. They go to Egypt, right? They go into Egypt, they, they, they become slaves. Then God, salvation history, provides a man named Moses. Moses goes in and leads the people out. When the people are out, they're not actually out because they come to the place called the Red Sea. They're about to be slaughtered. They're between a rock and a hard place. And God splits the Red Sea, leads them through. And then as the Egyptians are coming through, God removes His hand and withholds it. And the water crashes and destroys the number one military in the world in that time. And then they go into the promised land, right? God has redeemed them. He has saved them. He has rescued them. And He gives them a place to live and says, here's the thing, just serve me. And don't serve the other false gods. What do they begin to do? Begin to serve the other false gods. What happens is that God then sends in people like Ehud and Othniel. And He delivers the people from those foreign militaries. And then it goes on and on and on and on. And then you see all of that leading up to the Assyrians came and they destroyed many places in Israel. And then God provided deliverance from them. Then the Babylonians came in and they destroyed Solomon's simple. Six, uh, 586 B.C. And then there was that little period of 400 years before Christ where God stopped sending prophets to the people because they wouldn't listen. It was salvation history. And then you come to this place to where this unknown guy named Simeon picks up the Son of God who was sent to forgive the sins of all who would trust in Him. Now some people, um, like Christopher Hitchens, he's a well-known atheist, he, he said this, he said, now when you think about Jesus being sent into the world in the first century, 
That actually shows that Christianity is probably not true because what has happened, this is if you believe in an old earth. I do not. I believe in a young earth, but we can, we can still talk if you uh, do hold to an old earth. Here's what Christopher Hitchens said. He said, Homo sapiens have been on the planet for, Francis Collins says, 100,000 years. Richard Dawkins, 250. Uh, most scientists say 50,000 or up. Um, then heaven decides about 2,000 years ago to intervene. Then he says, no thinking person can believe this. Here's the atheist claim. The atheist claim is that Christianity is untrue because God allowed tons of people to live and die without a Savior. And then finally, in a little obscure place called Jerusalem, sent the Son of God into the world. Well, I did some research on this in the Population Reference Bureau. Here's, have you ever wondered how many people have ever lived? Any of our nerds out there ever thought that? Like, how many people actually ever lived? Well, this is obviously a guesstimate. That this is the best our scholars can come up with. Um, <clears throat> 106,456,000,000 and some change. So there's maybe six-ish billion people on the planet right now. We think that there are probably about 106 billion who have actually lived. Now, the total estimated persons who have lived out of that 106 billion by the time 1 AD, when Jesus kind of came onto the scene, was 1.4 billion and some change. So even though, even if you take an old earth, which, which I don't, I believe in, in young earth, but even if you take an old earth that people have been here for a lot longer, the actual amount of people that lived before Jesus came is only about 2% of the total world population of those who have ever lived. And that's not even counting the continuing explosion of the world's population. And furthermore, the question is, what happened to those people who lived before Christ? Have you ever wondered that? And what happened to those people who lived before Jesus came? Well, there's a verse that I would encourage you to write down. In the Bible, Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. This hits the nail on the head. Galatians 3.6 says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Here's the way it works. We believe, Christians believe, the Bible teaches that all of the people who lived before Jesus, all of those, I guess we could say 1.4-ish billion people, could look in faith to the Messiah who would come. Where we who have are living after Jesus, we look back at the Messiah who did come and who still continues to live. He's still the same Savior and Lord. The people in the Old Testament, in the even the pre-flood world, knew that God would send a son. He knew that God would send a redeemer. Knew that God would send a deliverer. In fact, uh, if you want to write this down as well, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is a prophecy that said that God will, um, that the, the head of the serpent will be crushed. And it speaks about um, all the way through Genesis chapter 12, that through Abraham, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham's seed. Who came through Abraham? Jesus did. So salvation history is stretching all the way from the beginning, all the way until now, saying that God is able to save both those who have lived in the past, who looked in faith to Jesus who would come, and then He can save us if we looked back in faith to Jesus who did come. And notice in verse 32 as well, you see that it is unique. Notice that it says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. A light. Why, why would Jesus be described as a light? 
Well, write down this text. It's Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. Old Testament fulfilled. It says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will keep you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. So you say, man, Jeff, why did God give Israel all of those laws and all of that stuff? It was so that they could live differently, so that they could be a light to the people in darkness. Another text, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. The Bible says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Acts chapter 26 and verse 23. This is Paul speaking before a ruler named Festus. Festus was like, the Apostle Paul, bro, you are out of your mind. But here's what Paul said. He said that the Christ would suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim, here it is, light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And to the Gentiles. You see, God from the beginning to the end has been speaking through prophecy. He's been speaking through all sorts of things to let the world know that He can redeem it. And this happened because Jesus, right? Like you think of this earth and this world that has been fractured by sin. How does that relationship get fixed? Some people say, well, I've got to be religious. Well, welcome to the old world party, right? People have thought that from ever since the fall happened. But we can't get to God by being religious. Amen, church? We, we can't be good enough to get to Him. So what happened, and the penalty for that sin was death. So what had to happen is for God's Son to be born as one of us. It's an old statement by a great Christian, a Gregory of Nazianzus, and he says, what has not been assumed cannot be redeemed. In other words, if you're going to redeem and save and rescue human beings, you must be one of them for your sacrifice to count for them. That's why the Bible says in the New Testament that the blood of sheep and goats can't actually forgive sin. It had to be the death of the righteous one. And sometimes we think that it's hard living for Jesus, don't we? But imagine if you or I had been called to be an Old Testament prophet. Imagine that. You know, like Jeremiah, right? Your, your city's under siege by the enemy, and your job is to go tell everybody in the city, you guys are too wicked. God has said that the enemy is going to come and destroy the city, and what you need to do is go ahead and give up. He was called a traitor. He was, he was actually uh, taken away from his homeland. I mean, a lot of the prophets were killed. They were spat upon. They were thrown in prison. They were tortured. Man, it's crazy. And you think about how God is, is moving and you fast forward that to rescind Jesus into the world who said that whosoever will believe in me, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And people did and they were. And the Roman Empire was rattled and shaken through the the deaths of Christians. And then you see Christians living down through the centuries. And you see, like in the 14th century, a guy named uh, uh, John Wycliffe who began to translate the Bible into language that people could read. The Roman Catholic Church tried to to kill um, him and all of these reformers. And yet, the Bible that you hold... if. if you have an English Bible this morning, this Bible is, is covered in the blood of printers, unnamed people in Europe who were willing simply to spread the Bible so that people could even read it. And then once Christianity came alive again, mission, missionaries begin to go out into other areas of the world and begin to spread. And then, you know, even later, um, some people crossed the ocean and they came to this place called Virginia. And here we are in the year 2011. 
in a place called Rocky Mount serving that very same Jesus. And if you fast forward, we don't know when Jesus is coming back, but if you fast forward, please write this text down. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. You ever wondered, what is God going to do in the future? We know what He's done in the past. We know what He's doing now. We know He's saving people all over the place. We've seen people saved here. Isn't that good? I mean, isn't it good to see people saved? I pray that that... that I, one of the first he says, if that doesn't... It's like, he's a, he's a real country preacher. He said, if that doesn't light your fire, then your wood's wet. And I was like, I like that. That's good. If that doesn't light your fire, then your wood's wet. Like, it's an awesome thing to see people saved. You guys remember Jessica McClure, the little girl in Texas who had fallen down into the well, and how the, the attention of a nation was, was absolutely captivated by that and how excited people were when she was saved. Well, we're talking about people being saved from hell. And that's an awesome thing. You're like, dude, what is God going to do in the future? If we fast forward to the last chapter of human history, this is what we'll find. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9 says, And after this I looked, and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. Salvation, that's our word. Salvation, delivering, saving, redeeming. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So if you, I I pray that we're there together on that day. But if you or I dare to even, even look up, it will be like the presence and the holiness of God will be so real, it'll almost be like you could reach out and touch it. It's going to be such an, an, uh, an incredible, unspeakable presence of God. And if we kind of look to the right or the left, what we're going to see is people from every nation, every tribe, every language singing praises to the Son of God who is worthy. He is worthy. I was in Texas several years ago and we were at a friend's birthday party and we had some fireworks. And uh, with guys... A lot of times when you have fireworks, it doesn't usually go all that well. They begin to shoot the mortars not straight up, but kind of like at a 45-degree angle. This is in North Texas. It's very dry. There was a field next to us with kind of uncut hay grass about maybe 18 inches to 2 feet tall. I mean, you could drop a match and it would go up like gas. They shot the mortar 45-degree angle over the pond and you hear, you know, not very intelligent sounds. Oh, wow, dude. Oh, wow, awesome. Oh, yeah. Guys, and slapping each other on the back at their, um, at their collective stupidity. Then the mortar round landed on the ground. Boom! It was awesome. It was like, whoa! And then once it blew up, the grass caught on fire. Everyone was like, whoa! Oh, no! And that North Texas wind caught that stuff and buddy, it began to burn, baby, burn. And it was bad because it's just an open field, no tree line, no ditch to stop the wind. So it was immediately, all of us guys took off running except for one guy. And still, if I find him today, I'm going to give him a closed fist healing in the name of Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? A good old fashioned Baptist beatdown. He just sat there and watched everybody like, Psh. 
I'm too cool. We took off our shirts, dipped them in the uh, in the lake. But yet we had we spent like a group of guys, like guys, spent like 15, 20 minutes putting out this fire that burned like several acres. It was bad. And it was so far out in the country that I think if they would have brought you know, fire truck, it, it would have been like the hall of Texas would have been burned. Like if you would have gotten this, a, a map of the United States, Texas would have just been black and charred. Like it was, it was close to being like that. And, and, and I thought after that, like all the guys didn't really say much to him the rest of the night. He just kind of sat back there and didn't do anything. And I thought about that. I said, has that been me before? When we think of salvation history, look at verse 32. A light... For revelation, that, that the word there in the Greek is apocalypse, which is the unveiling, the, the revealing, the answer to a mystery to the Gentiles. Talking about people who've never heard the gospel. And for your glory to your people Israel. You know what I thought about? I said, you know, how much time have I spent in the time that God has given me to live standing to the side and watching the fields of people's lives burn? How many chances have I not given to missions to take the gospel over that pond, overseas, so that people could be saved, instead of keeping money that I'll probably either miserly save up, miserlishly, whatever the word is, or just spend on something that I don't need? As I thought about that story, I was like, I'm that guy. I have been that guy. And I pray that for us at Rocky Mount Baptist Church, if that is you, or if that has been you, may it be that that never be said of us. Amen? And I've been absolutely blown away by this church and the amount of money that you've given to Whitney's mission trip. To the young guys who came here, a, a, a band of high schoolers with drums and bass guitars and keyboards and stuff that maybe a lot of us are not used to. But you gave very sacrificially to that because you believe in them. And those guys are totally stoked. May it be that for me and for us, that if you are one of those who has dipped your shirt into the water and you're doing the best job as the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Spirit led Simeon, to try to share the gospel, to try to love people, to try to bring people to church, to forgive, and simply be a Christ follower. May God continue to bless your life. Hey, listen, this is from me. Hopefully I can be your friend and your pastor too, but don't give up. Amen, church? Don't stop. Don't back down one bit. Keep going and go ahead and take a five-hour shot of energy drink. Listen to your favorite preacher, whoever it is. Study the Bible and keep going even that much more. Don't stop. Because here's the fact. The fires of God's judgment will come. There is a day in which God will judge the world in righteousness. Acts chapter 17. There is a day that you and I will face Him. And I pray that it is on that day that we will, through our efforts now, that Jesus will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And there will be no more fires to put out. Isn't that good? That's why the Bible says they shall have their rest, those who have labored for Christ. If you're laboring, if you're praying, if you're following Jesus, I just want to let you know, keep that up. Let the Holy Spirit empower you and don't ever back down. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. There's some of you here and you're like, Jeff, I'm, I'm one of the ones that the fire is coming for. I have not been saved. 
My life shows that. I know that I need to, as Simeon, just simply give everything to God, be willing to call Him my master and be willing to call myself His slave. I know I need to give my life to Jesus. I know I need to get saved. But I don't think that I'm ready. I want to ask you a question. If you don't think you're ready, then what you're telling Jesus now is you're saying no forever. Because the fact is that you and I don't even know if we're going to live past tomorrow. I don't know if the plane's going to go down when I fly to Brazil. I don't know if I'm going to catch something when I'm there. I don't know if I'm going to make the drive. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to drop dead in two seconds from a heart attack. I have no idea. But if you know, if the Holy Spirit has shown you that you need to be saved, you need to be born again, you need to give everything to, to Jesus, do that. Say, Jeff, how do I do it? The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just do business with Jesus right now. Say, Jesus, I'm ready. Would you save me? Save me, Jesus. Take me, take all of me. Take it from me. If you're ready to follow Jesus, if you got saved, if you want to get saved, we're going to ask you to get up out of your seat and walk down the aisle. When we begin to sing, we do not believe that saves you, but what you're doing is you're saying, I'm ready to stand up. I'm ready to let people know. I'm ready to let God know that I am here ready to follow Him. I'm repenting, and I'm showing that in a physical way. And for the ones who need to join with us by baptism or by um, coming from another church, we'd love to have you if God has called you here. We ask you also to come. And for those of you who say, Jeff, I've got problems, I've got family members, I know people who need prayer. We just want to open this altar, this front, up to you, these steps. When we begin to sing, you don't have to talk to me. You can walk right past me if you wish and just pray. Say, God, I'm just being humble. Let you know that I'm praying for the ones who need it. God, would you bless this time of invitation? And would you please draw the ones who need to make a commitment for you? In Jesus' name, amen.